Turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7, and we're going to look once again at the same verses that we saw this morning. Um, in verses 1 through 13 of John chapter 7. And uh, we'll start out with this illustration, and that is that a young man came to W.E. Gladstone when Gladstone was the Prime Minister of England. Um, That was back in the 1800s. And he said, Mr. Gladstone, I'd appreciate you giving me a few minutes in which I can lay before you my plans for the future. And I, he told him, I would like to study law. Uh, Yes, the great statesman said, and then what? And then, sir, I would like to gain entrance uh, to the bar of of England. Yes, young man, and what then? Uh, Well, sir, I hope to have a place in Parliament in the House of Lords. Yes, young man, what then? Well, then I hope to do great things for Britain. Yes, young man, then what? Then, sir, I hope to retire and take life easy. Yes, young man, and then what? Well, then, Mr. Gladstone, I suppose I will die. Yes, young man, and then what? Well, the young man hesitated and said, Well, I never thought any further than that. And looking at this young man very sternly and steadily, Gladstone said, Young man, you you are a fool. Go home and think life through. You know, I thought it would be profitable for us to revisit the same text tonight that we studied this morning, but from a slightly different perspective, considering the topic of God's time versus man's time. In verse 6, Jesus says to his half-brothers, who had advised him to go up to the Feast of Tabernacles and to do some miracles to make himself known. He said, My time is not yet come, but your time is already, always ready. Jesus was drawing a contrast here between how he lived in view of God's time versus how his brothers lived their lives. And I want us to think about that this evening for a few moments. And the first point, I think, is obvious, and yet it's worth thinking about, and that is that life is short, but off, uh, life is short and eternity is forever. Someone was once asked what he was, uh, he was most surprised about in life, and he answered, it's brevity. An older man gave his perspective on how he viewed time differently as he got older, as he aged. He said this, days were plentiful and cheap when I was young, like penny candy. I always had a pocket full and I spent them casually. Now my supply is diminished and their value has soared. Each one becomes worth its weight in gold. And suddenly I live in unaccustomed thrift, cherished hours, the way lovers prize moments, And even at that, when the week is ended, it seems I've gone through another fortune. A day doesn't go as far as it used to. Can you relate to some of those thoughts? Some of you are still young. I still have a hard time believing I'm 65 years old. I'm eligible for Medicare. I always thought that was for old people. 
But you know, life is short. And eternity is forever. You know, if Jesus had been born in our times, his parents would have recognized that he was an unusually gifted child. They would have begun his education early. They would have put him on a gifted child track. And they would have had him preaching by the age of 12 when he had made an impression on the scholars in the temple. And by the time he was 20, he would have a huge international following. And with a good public relations man, he would have learned to tone down some of those more offensive comments so that the religious leaders would not have plotted to kill him. Think how much more he could have accomplished if he had lived until he was 70 or 80 or 90 years old. But Jesus living according to God's time, didn't begin his ministry until he was about 30. And after three short years, he would pray in John 17 and verse 4, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I think it's amazing. If you want to think like Jesus, we need to live with the awareness of how short life is, and then one day we're going to give an account to God for the how we spent our lives. In Psalm 90, as Moses thought on these things, he concluded with the prayer in verse 17, and let the beauty of the Lord our God be upon us, and establish thou the work of our hands upon us, yea, the work of our hands establish thou it. If none other than Moses had to ask God to confirm the work of his hands, how much more do we need to pray uh, that prayer repeatedly? So life is short. You know, uh, we sometimes, uh, like this man looking in the mirror, he sees himself as a young man, uh, and sometimes we still think ourselves that way, don't we? Um, Be honest now, we think we're really, you know, But if we really took an honest look at ourselves, we'd say, hey, you are getting a little bit old and graying and balding and and pudgy and all the rest of it. You don't stay young forever. Life is short, but eternity is forever. Notice, secondly, living by man's time. Now, Jesus' brothers here were living by man's time. Their time was always ready. Jesus told his brothers that they could go up to the feast whenever they wanted to because their time was always ready. The implication is that they were not living under God's time as Jesus was. And Jesus meant that what they did was utterly without significance as far as God was concerned. And I think we can draw three implications about what it means to live by man's time. You see, those who live by man's time, number one, are not living under the lordship of Christ. Look again at verse 5. It says, For neither did his brethren believe in him. Now we saw this morning that Jesus' brothers had grown up with him. So they knew him better than most people would have. They've heard his teaching. They've seen some of his miracles. 
They were good religious Jews. They observed the various feasts in Israel, such as this Feast of the Tabernacles, but they didn't believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord. They probably did not see their need for a Savior from sin because they thought themselves to be good. They said, I'm okay, I'm all right, I'm doing, I'm doing just fine, I'm doing whatever uh, the, uh, the Jewish religion tells me to do. I'm a whole lot better than those pagan Gentiles. So if you want to live by God's time and not waste your life living by man's time, the first order of business is to trust in Christ as Savior and Lord. And when you're born again, you repent of the sin of the living for yourself, and you begin to live for the glory of your wonderful Savior and Lord. You realize that if He is Lord of all, then He's going to be Lord of your time. So we need to begin to seek Him earnestly to figure out how He wants us to spend our lives. If you determine your goals and priorities apart from submission to God and His Word, then you're living by man's time and not by God's time. And that kind of living is ultimately futile. Notice, secondly, those living by man's time go along with their culture apart from Christ. And Jesus draws a sharp contrast here between his brother's time and his time. And if you're using your time as our culture does, then we're probably not living by God's time. You see, the brothers went up to this religious feast, but they went without Jesus. They went because it was the thing for Jewish men to do. It was a God-ordained ritual, yes, but they did it without reality because they did it without Jesus and without faith in Him. They were living by man's time, not by God's time. Now we, of course, live in a godless, corrupt culture. Our culture today exalts the selfish pleasure, materialism. Those are the ultimate aims in life. Even the talk about the American dream, you know, getting that house and getting uh, uh, the enough garages to contain a boat, a pickup, a you know, and a car, and you know, whatever those things. And if you can get all of that, man, you've really arrived. Now, there's nothing wrong with a house, nothing wrong with a garage, nothing wrong with a car, nothing wrong with a pickup, nothing wrong with a boat. Okay. But if that's your goal in life, that's your aim in life, you're living on man's time. And to go along with our culture, live for these fleeting pleasures, it's obviously a waste of our lives. But it's possible to be a part of a Christian wing of our culture. We can go to church, we can go through Christian rituals even. Coming to our church can be a ritual for some people. Going through the motions of singing and, and uh, uh, giving and, and doing the Lord's table, that can all be a part of the Christian rituals if we're doing it for the wrong reason, if we're not doing it for the reason that God has given to us in His Word. If you're just doing it because it's the thing that Christians do, 
then you're living by man's time and not by God's time. Those living by man's time are not living under the Lordship of Christ. They're going along with the culture apart from Christ. And then thirdly, they operate by worldly wisdom, not God's wisdom. Now this morning, we saw here how the Jesus, uh, the, the Jesus brothers were offered, offered some uh, worldly wise advice. How, they could, uh, how he could advance his career. Now they may have meant well, but as I pointed out this morning, their advice was in line with Satan's temptation for Jesus to jump off the pinnacle of the temple, have the angels float him gently to the ground and and impress everyone. That would be a tremendous impression made upon people. It would be a miracle, and they would really uh, he could really get a following that way. Well, the brother's advice was, for there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If you do these things, show thyself to the world. And by the world, Jesus' brothers meant to everyone. But John no doubt saw the irony in their comment. We've already uh, know that such a display of Jesus' miraculous powers would have the multitude clamoring to make him a political Messiah. We saw that in chapter 6, but it would not have resulted in genuine faith. In one sense, Jesus had no intention of showing himself to the world. And yet in another sense, it was in Jerusalem where Jesus reveals himself very dramatically, not in a spectacular miracle that the brothers wanted, but in the giving himself to the cross. The very cross by which Jesus draws all men to himself and becomes the Savior of the world. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23 and 24, it says, But we preach Christ crucified, unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 23 and 24. No doubt most of us are familiar with a man by the name of Jim Elliott, martyred at the age of 28 in Ecuador, along with four other young men by the Aka Indian tribe. They were seeking to reach them with the gospel, and when he was a college student, and this is a very familiar saying that we attribute to Jim Elliott, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, to gain what he cannot lose. Back in 2013, there was a young chemistry teacher by the name of Ronnie Smith. He was a husband and a father. He was shot to death by Muslim radicals while he was jogging in Benghazi, Libya. He was there to show Christ's love to those who were lost and hopeless. In an interview, his wife said that she loves and forgives those who murdered her husband. And the world would say that to go to a fierce, primitive tribe or a dangerous place like Benghazi to share the gospel, that's not very smart. But you know what? God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. Sometimes... 
You know, especially in the day which we live, I think of the disrespect for law enforcement, and we have a daughter that's a police officer. In a big city, things have happened down there that could threaten her life, but you know what? We've committed her to the Lord Jesus Christ, and she's as safe there as she is in the jungles of Africa. She's as safe there as she is in Benghazi. You see, may God deliver us from living by man's time in worldly wisdom rather than in, by God's time and by God's wisdom. To understand how to live by God's time, we must look on how Jesus lived. Notice, living by God's time. <clears throat> Jesus lived by God's time. He submitted fully to God's plan for his life. And throughout John's gospel, there is a repeated theme of Jesus' hour. You find that term, hour, H-O-U-R, hour. And it's a, it's a term that refers to the cross. But here in John 7 and verse 6 and 8, John uses a word that refers to an opportune time. Jesus means that, that God appointed time for him to go to Jerusalem and reveal himself was not yet at hand. In other words, in contrast to his brothers who lived by the world's agenda, Jesus lived by God's agenda. Now this meant five things. <clears throat> to live by God's time, number one, is to be directly accountable to him. To be directly accountable to him. Jesus always had a sense of obeying the Father with regard to his use of time. He did not allow his own mother to determine when he should turn the water into wine, but he did it as God directed him. And here he does not allow his brother's advice to govern when he went up to the feast. But he went in response to the father's timetable. He was accountable to the father to do everything in his life and ministry as the father had directed him. Now, I'll grant that it's not easy to sometimes determine God's will for some specifics of our schedules. Whether it concerns the major decisions in life or the daily or weekly schedules that we all must take. But we can determine the overall priorities and goals from the wisdom of God's word. We can prayerfully seek to use our time with awareness that we will give an account to God or for how we spent the time that He gave us. You know, to spend countless hours watching TV or playing computer games, not really a godly way to spend your life. You know, sometimes I like to ask people, well, what do you do in your spare time? I often get the answer, what spare time? You know, people are busy. They're working. They got projects. They think they got things to do. We have busy days. We have busy weeks. But if we're careful to analyze our time spent, I wonder how much of it really counts for eternity. If we'd really carefully look at what we do, how we spend our time, 
how much would it count for eternity? Secondly, to live by God's time is to live with a purpose of glorifying God. Our time should be spent accomplishing what he's given us to do. Jesus came to do the Father's will, to accomplish the Father's work, it tells us back in chapter 4. He finished it in three years, as we have seen, uh, as you go ahead and you find it in chapter 17, where we already made mention of how he said, I have finished the work that God had given me to do. And Jesus' purpose should be our purpose, namely to glorify God on this earth, to accomplish whatever it is he's given each of us to do. Obviously, God does not call everyone to be a foreign missionary. God does not call everyone to serve a full-time ministry. But he does call all of us to live in such a way that what we do glorifies him. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. all behavior begins in our hearts, in our thoughts. And so begin there. Begin in your heart or in your thoughts. Get those in line with God's word. Philippians 4.8 says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things have a good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think. Think, think on these things. Start with the thoughts in your your mind. Get them in line with God's word. All of our behavior is to be governed by God's love. God's love seeks the highest good for others. Romans 12 and verse 9 and 10 says, Let love be without dissimulation, Abhor that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another. And also God has uniquely gifted each one of us for some aspect of service. We all don't have the same gift for service that everybody else has. But God's given you something you can do for him. Figure it out. Figure out how he's gifted you and structure your schedule so you can do it. To live by God's time is to be directly accountable to him. To live by God's time is to live with a purpose of glorifying God. And then thirdly, develop a harvest mindset. This is a mindset that has eternity in view. Now, as we saw in this In the story of Jesus with the woman at the well, remember the disciples, they had a temporal mindset. They were thinking about food. They were thinking about their stomachs. They were focused on getting Jesus to eat his lunch. And they could get then on their way, on their journey. You know, they had gone through Samaria, and that wasn't a place they usually liked to travel through. And so they were saying, hey, let's get going. You know, let's get something to eat and get going. They didn't have a harvest mindset. But Jesus did. And he turned their focus toward what God was doing with this encounter with the woman and the Samaritans in that village. 
And Jesus was aware of God's perspective of every situation. He never acted out of selfish motives, but only for the purpose of furthering God's kingdom. He told us in contrast to seek all things that the world so eagerly seeks. No, he said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. You've got to figure out what, how that verse applies to your particular sphere of influence. It may apply to your, the rearing of your children to know and follow Christ. It may apply to helping a family member. It may apply to helping a co-worker or a stranger whom you meet to, to help them to come to know the Savior and to grow in Him. Ask the Lord to give you a harvest mindset. When you start the day, pray that God would give you an opportunity perhaps to get some harvest. You know, we maybe God wants you to plant some seed. Maybe He wants you to water some seed. But isn't it wonderful to have a harvest? We don't want to just plant seeds all of our lives. I mean, some people do a lot of seed planting. Some do a lot of watering. And maybe we don't get that harvest, but give, ask the Lord to give you a harvest mindset and then live by God's time. And then, number four, do not put personal safety above doing the will of God. Now, this kind of already has to do with what I mentioned here, but I do not mean we live recklessly. We do not have the motto, drive fast and take chances. You know, that's not the motto we're to have. But Jesus stayed in Galilee because the Jews were trying to kill him. But when it was God's will for him to go to the feast, he went. And we see the same thing later in John chapter 10 and, verse, and chapter 11. Jesus was ministering out of the reach of the Pharisees who were seeking to kill him. But when it was God's time... He went to Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem, to raise Lazarus from the dead. And so he did it according to God's plan, God's will. You know, speaking about risk and safety, when is it right to protect yourself from possible harm versus expend yourself for the sake of the gospel? You know, on some occasions, the Apostle Paul escaped impending threats to his life. We read about those in his letters uh, in 2 Corinthians and Acts. But at other times, he was willing to walk into what most certainly would have been a result of either persecution or certain death. Now, I can't give you a hard and fast rule for determining when to risk your life for the sake of the gospel and when to use caution and escape. But we should all have a mindset that our highest aim is to glorify God through the gospel. Sometimes that may entail exposing ourselves to substantial risk. It may mean for some of our folks here to give themselves to a life of missions in a foreign country that's dangerous, like the Smiths. I don't think they're putting personal safety above God's will, do you? And you say, oh, I couldn't do that, you know. 
No, not necessarily everybody can do that, but you know, there may be some here that God would give the strength and courage to do that. Is going to the mission field sometimes dangerous? Yes. But how many have found out that just doing the going to work is dangerous? You know? You're going to work here in the Spooner area can be dangerous. We never know what God has for us. But we can be assured that if we're seeking His will and we're here for His glory, He will take us through the dangers, and if not, He will take us home. So to live by God's time, be directly accountable to Him. Live with the purpose of glorifying God. Develop a harvest mindset. And do not put personal safety above doing the will of God. And then finally... Be willing to confront our godless culture. Here, Jesus confronted his brother's worldly perspective. Do you have some family members that have a worldly perspective? Maybe some brothers or sisters or some relatives, some uncles and aunts, have a very worldly perspective? Are you willing to confront that perspective? Jesus never backed away from confronting the worldly, worldly or the godless views of those who came and he came in uh, direct contact with. Even though it inevitably would lead to his death, when he went to have lunch with a Pharisee, Jesus deliberately did not follow their custom of ceremonial washing before the meal, and then he laid into that Pharisee for his hypocrisy of cleaning the outside of the club cup while inside was full of wickedness. Remember one of the lawyers uh, present heard Jesus' condemnation of the Pharisee and he said, Master, thus saith thou reproacheth us also. Did Jesus reply, well, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to offend you. Is that the way Jesus answered him? No, he said, Woe unto you. Woe unto you also, ye lawyers. And he proceeded to expose their many sins. Now, you say, well, I'm not Jesus, you know. I'm not God. But Jesus always confronted the godlessness around him. And that doesn't mean we need to be rude. It doesn't mean we need to be insensitive. Paul tells us that our speech should be both gracious and seasoned with salt in Colossians 4.6. He tells us not to be quarrelsome, but to be kind to all and correct with uh, gentleness. Speak the truth in love. But probably most of us need to be a a bit bolder, don't we? A a, A bit bolder to speak out against the godlessness when we encounter it. Now, if we're going to review and offer some very specific action points, here are some steps to help us live by God's time so that your life counts for eternity and isn't wasted because you live by man's time. First, number one, make sure you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and that you're fully submitted to His Lordship. Apart from that, anything you do is going to be empty 
It's going to be vain. It's going to be uh, empty uh, at the judgment. It's just going to be worth nothing. Secondly, this is a more practical thing. Maybe write out a one-sentence purpose statement for your life. Or maybe just a two or three short-term goals that will help you in going that direction. Now, again, Jesus probably didn't write down his life purpose in a single sentence. But he was very clear about it, and he knew when he had accomplished the Lord's work. Again, I refer to John 17, verse 4, uh, where he said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. I think we could say the same thing about Paul. He said in 1 Corinthians 9.23, And this I do for the gospel's sake. He said that was his aim. He said in Philippians 3.10, His goal was that he might know Christ, that I might know him. He told Timothy, he said, Timothy, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. Now, exercise takes time. It takes discipline. It takes resolve. It takes determination. These are aims. These are goals that are all in line and show that Paul lived with God's purpose in mind. I think it would help maybe if we just say, you know, I want to just write out what my goal is in life. If your goal is materially minded, if it has to do with man's time, then it's probably not a good goal. But if it has to do with God's time, it's something that you can work on. It can help you move in the right direction. Number three, clear your life of clutter. Some of us need to do that anyway, right? That's why I recommend moving once a year, okay? Clear your life of clutter. Maybe maybe you're too busy. You ever thought about that? And you're too busy to not relate to your overall purpose. Maybe you're so busy you don't have time for the things of God in God's time. And number four, figure out what God has gifted you to do and begin serving Him. Say, well, sometime, well, someday I'll do that. Someday there'll be a better time. No, you'll never get that time. What is your mission field? Stop and think about that. Meditate on that tomorrow morning in your devotional time with the Lord. What is my mission field? You know, someone had the idea, and I, the, the number's not magical. It's just kind of easy to remember. Find five. Find five people with whom you have regular contact that you can influence for Christ. Can you think of five people? Now, they may be in your family, some of them, or they may be people you work with, or they may be people you go to school with. But five people... Sometimes people recommended more. But, you know, start with five. 
God wants all of his disciples to help make disciples to make disciples. If we're not in the disciple-making business, then we're not doing what we need to be doing. We're on man's time and not God's time. Think of five people you can begin to pray with. Four. Pray for them. And you ask God for the opportunity. Can I have an impact in their life? Some way. Maybe I can have a Bible study with them. Maybe I can do something that will help them come to know Christ or be going further in their Christian walk with, with, uh, with God. And number five, don't despise the mundane as a place where God wants you to serve. You say, well, I don't have any talents. I don't have any abilities. I don't have any place to go. I, I, I can't go to the mission field. I can't be a full-time, uh, in full-time ministry. But you know what? You can serve God right where you're at. You can glorify God daily in your present circumstances, no matter what they might be. Peter put it this way, 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak... Oh, that sounds like our memory verse, doesn't it? 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, you work on that this week, and I think you'll start coming up with maybe a purpose statement. And you'll start working and doing things on God's time, not for man's time. I trust that this can help us in some little way to understand what God wants us to be. Make sure you have the assurance of salvation. You have a purpose statement. Clear the clutter. Serve God with your gifts and don't despise the mundane. Let's pray. Father in heaven.